So we are always dealing with uncertainty, but because of this moment in time, it feels like we've never done it before. And the truth of the matter is we have. And the thing that I often want to remind people of is, yes, you may need to improve your toolkit, but remember you have a toolkit because however you handled the crises, whether it was a collective one before or whether it was an individual one where it was personal or perhaps related to your business, if you're here, that means you got through it. <laughs> and so what did you do to get through it? <laughs> Don't forget whatever it was that you used to help you get through it. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, and I am Yvonne Marchese, your host. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. This week, I decided to shake things up a little, and we're going to talk about one of those things no one likes to talk about in polite conversation. We're talking about money. And not in a broad strokes economics kind of way. We are going to talk about the emotions around money. You know, those pesky little emotions that cause us to make decisions that we might not be so happy with. (laughs) Oh, yeah. My guest this week is financial behaviorist Jacquette Timmons. And uh, I know, I'm saying it again, but I am so stinking excited to have her here because she is the real deal, folks. She's a financial coach who focuses on the human side of money. And when she's not providing financial coaching, she's usually traveling the country for speaking engagements on behalf of, oh, Fortune, five, for, sorry, Fortune 100 companies, law firms, nationally known nonprofits and conferences. And she goes there to talk about the intersection of emotions and money. Her work has been featured on Minnesota Public Radio, Sirius XM, Good Morning America, Oprah.com, CNN, HLN, Fox, Black Enterprise, NPR, Reuters.com, and the Wall Street Journal. Okay, so (laughs) I have a little confession to make. Having Jaquette on was inspired by some selfish motivations. You know, when you call up an expert to get advice and say you're asking for a friend. But hey, I'm sharing the love with all of you, so I'm hoping to win some karmic points. Every time I hear Jaquette speak, I find it to be, I always have an aha moment. And she always seems to be able to take her audience on a journey that leads to personalized action. So, without further ado, here's Jaquette Timmons. How are you? I'm fabulous. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I, I have to be honest with you. I did not start off the day that way. I don't know what black cloud was over me this morning, uh-huh. but girl, it was there. I was like, whoa. And so I, I, you know, I went for a walk and, and then I just kind of was like, okay, just get to work. And, uh, and, and suddenly, you know, it all kind of started, I was like, all right, all right. I started editing another episode and then I was like, okay, okay. I'm feeling like myself you again. Know, sometimes <laughs> we have days like that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, all right. I don't know what that was. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I have, I love your glasses and I wish I could oh. wear cat eyes. I can't. Oh, I look like an idiot in cat you. eyes. You are adorable. 
I love, I love, love, love iframes. Oh my God. I wish I could have a different pair for every day. I can see you doing that. I could see you doing that. I could. Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm so nervous. Right. Can I tell you? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm all in chaquette. I can't believe it. I'm, I'm very excited. Genuinely. Genuinely I'm really very excited. excited. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. All right. So I was trying to think about, I was trying to think about when you first came into my, my, my awareness. I know it was through Tara McMullen and what works, and I'm pretty sure it was probably listening to her podcast. Have you been on more than one episode? I believe I've been on two. Cause I believe I I've been on two one. Yes, I have been on two episodes. I've been on two podcast episodes. I've done, um, two or three of her virtual conferences. Yes. Which have been fantastic. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So, so just for everybody listening, major shout out to Tara McMullen and what works. And I will be putting that information in the show notes along with a lot of other (laughs) stuff at the end of this, I'm sure. Um, So cool. So, you know, I just, it's so funny because when I, when I, when I first knew about having you on, um, my first question was, do you have a pivot story? Was there something in your midlife that, that changed? And you're like, no, nah, not so much. So anyway, so I just kind of want to have you go back a little bit. Let us know a little bit about who you are, where you've come from, what makes you you now. Um, I, know, I, th- I know you and I talked a little bit more about this, but I am fascinated that you switched over from studying marketing at FIT and went and got your MBA in finance. I think I would love to hear about what that change was. Sure. Well, one of the things that you mentioned when we were um, preparing for the call is you said that you wanted to know what brought me here and now. And as I was thinking about that, you know, at least I was like, wow, that's a really broad question. But then the more I dug into it, And the more I've thought about literally here and now, and here and now from the standpoint of we're having this conversation in July of 2020. Mm -hmm. And when I think about what got me here, the words that come to mind are a combination of flexible and openness, creativity, resourcefulness, discipline, and my communication skills. Mm -hmm. I can see all that about you. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thank Mm -hmm. you. And the reason that I say that is because I am fantastic. And I know that that can be a little bit of a hot potato of a thing to say in the midst of where we are, right? When there are so many people who have either lost their lives or lost a loved one. There's so many people who have lost a job or Um, are in a position where they probably need to close down their business, never to be reopened again. I know Mm -hmm. that it's a hot potato to say that in the midst of all of that. And I I say it and not in any way being disrespectful of the grief that someone is in um, or the challenges or the hardships, but really making sure that in addition to the narrative there, we are also including the stories of people that are doing well 
in this moment in time that yeah. are thriving and, and, and not only making space for that part of the story, but to be honest, I did not see this on March 12th. And that's one of the reasons why I celebrate this because I am so freaking grateful because on March 12th, everybody probably has their day when it comes to where were you and how did life change when COVID, you know, really, really hit where you are. Um, you know, so much of my business was based on and still is based on speaking, but so much of it was based on in-person live events for corporations, law firms, and conferences, and, you know, events that I host myself. Mm -hmm. So everything for me changed on March 12th. And I had one of those, oh, shoot, what is going to happen? Because now a huge aspect of my business, poof, it's gone away. Yeah. So I, on March 12th, had no idea that I would be here having this conversation with you, saying that I am fantastic and looking at my numbers and realizing, wow, I've been able to replenish all of what I quote unquote lost on March 12th. That is so amazing. when you say here and now, you're like, those are all of the things that brought me to literally this here and now, but there's also a thread because those are the things that also are the reason for the, the transition from, you know, going to FIT with the intent of being a shoe designer and, and, and studying marketing and then working in finance. So all of it is a thread. You know? Oh, shoe designer. Oh, girl. Oh, you are hitting me. Yes. I love shoes. I love shoes. Oh and and I'll tell you, I'm not a big fashion person. I'm, I'm not a fashionista. will never claim to be, but I do love shoes and oh eyeglasses. I know. Exactly. Exactly. Because they're, they're like the ultimate accessory that could be a statement piece, I think anyway. Right. But um, in high school, I worked in the mall and I sold shoes. And that's where the desire mm -hmm. to want to design shoes came from. And mm -hmm. I graduated high school when I was 16. I went to FIT. I went to FIT um, with the intent of being a shoe designer, even though they didn't even have a shoe design program at the time. So I'm yeah. telling a little bit about my age. <laughs> yeah. And so you graduated early, it sounds like. Yeah, I did. Mm -hmm. I graduated right. at 16. I went to college at 16. I graduated college at 20. Wow. Um, and, you know, at FIT, one of the prerequisites for graduating is that you had to do a co-op. And so I literally, because we had phone books back then, I literally <laughs> went to the phone book and I came up with a list of all of the high-end um, shoe designers and I wrote myself a little script. Now you got to remember, I'm 17 going on 18. I wrote myself <laughs> a little script and I called every single one of them. And Salvatore Ferragamo is the one that called me in and said, hey, let's talk. And that's where I did my internship and, or my co-op, as they called it. And I, it even went beyond the, the length that was the obligation in terms of meeting the requirements for school. So, uh -huh. again, when I, when I talk about, you know, what got me here July 22, it's the same thing that inspired me to go through the phone book come up with a, a list of, no one told me to do that. Like come up with a list of names, come up with a script, go through that script with everybody, get my co-op job. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would call that pure, pure D gumption. I love it. Yeah. Gumption, tenacity. Yes. 
Yes. And resourcefulness. <laughs> and resourcefulness. Resourcefulness. Because exactly. frankly, at that point in time, yeah, I would have been clueless at, yeah. at that age in that, in that, because there was, oh, I love Google. Can I just, can I just say, I love like being able to just type something in and find anything and it was hard back in the day. Oh my to God, find out yes. information, Right? <laughs> we had typewriter. Remember? Oh, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember, and, you know, in college doing my papers and you had the carbon paper on your typewriter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Awful. Awful. We've come a long way. We've come a long in some way. Ways. We've come a long way. Yeah, exactly. In some ways. That is the caveat. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, you yeah. had a good experience clearly with the co-op because you went beyond that time with them, the, the required time. And then what happened? And so then it was over and, you know, I still needed to, I was in undergrad, but I still needed to have like a work study. I need to make some money. And so I started working at Bloomingdale's behind the counter at Clinique. And for those that uh, don't know, still then, and I think still, Estee Lauder owned Estee Lauder, Clinique, um, Prescriptives, and Aramis. And I worked behind the counter at Clinique, but then during the week, either in the mornings or in the afternoon when I didn't have classes, I worked in the showroom. And I would float between any of the companies that needed it because that's when they called us Gal Fridays. And whatever person needed admin work, I would, you know, go and do admin work. Well, mm -hmm. I was personally shocked, and I happened to have been personally shocked by uh, the person who was the head of human resources. Clearly, I didn't know I was being personally shocked, but thankfully, I did a good job. And we started having a conversation, and she's like, well, what are you doing? And I told her I'm in school, and I tell her that eventually I want to go for my MBA, but not right now. And I tell her that I'm doing, you know, working behind the counter, and I'm also working in the showroom. And she's like, well, the next time you're in the showroom, which happened to have been the coming Monday, she's like, come and see me. So I go and see her. And next thing I know, I've got a job. Wow. So, so did she reveal herself to you as a personal shopper in the middle of personal shopping you? So Is that how that she, happened? After, after the transaction and when we started talking, she's like, well, I'm the head of HR. Uh, and that's when she revealed it to me. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. So yes. you ended up with a job job. So she hired me and um, she hired me to be her assistant in human resources, which was not something I thought that I would be doing. Um, so I graduate. So this happened before May because I was just all excited about the fact that I had a job before graduation. Yeah. <laughs> and then I graduate, I start working with her and, you know, a couple of months later, she's like, I'm moving on to Bankers Trust and you're going to come with me. And so I did. And, it, you know, it took a couple of months before the process, you know, was complete and all of that. But here's how little I knew. You know, all I knew about Wall Street was what I read in the paper, which I was not very consistent with back then. Uh -huh. And um, what I saw on the news when they would tell you how the stock market did. That's all I knew. And it was really interesting because this is a little bit, I guess, precocious of me still. I remember thinking, they don't know how to spell bankers because where's the apostrophe between the R and the S? <laughs> <laughs> so that can tell you a little bit about 
me, I guess. Anyway, hey, all of that is to say, I got there. And I, <laughs> I got there and I completely fell in love. I fell in love with the idea of money being a product and it being a product much like a pair of high-end shoes where I've got to figure out how am I going to get this product in someone's hand. And, you know, I'm still green behind the ears and we have the crash of 87. And I was fascinated. I was completely fascinated by people's reaction to that crash because there were some people that literally, if they could have jumped out of the window because of how much money they lost for themselves or for their clients, they would have. There was another group of people that were really calm and seemed totally unfazed. So I was fascinated by those drastically different reactions, but I was mm -hmm. also fascinated by what are they not talking about so that this camp is not convincing the other camp to come and join them. And so I didn't have the words for it back then, but that's what's really planted the seed for my interest in behavioral economics and behavioral finance. Gotcha. So, and I've heard, I've heard you talk about that, um, that experience in 1987. So when did you end up going to, at this point, you were not in grad school, right? You were just working. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, so what point, uh -huh. at what point did you decide to go get your MBA? How long were you just working at Bankers Trust? So I was working for three years. Okay. Um, and I went, I did my MBA part-time. I did my MBA part-time at Fordham because Fordham had a part-time program. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. And um, I started in, when did I start? I must have started, actually, no, I started in 89. So yeah, three, yeah, so that's right. I, I worked for three years just working, and then beginning in 89, I started doing my MBA part-time. Gotcha. And did you immediately go into looking in at behavioral finance, or did you just go in and get an MBA in finance and kind of keep going down a general road? Yeah, no, it was, it was a straight ahead process. I did it. I did the traditional, you know, MBA process, mm -hmm. you know, MBA in finance route. Um, I still worked at Bankers Trust. By that time, not only had I moved over to the private bank, but I'd moved over to the private bank and was in a role where I was on a team managing money. And then once I finished my MBA, that was really when things took off from the standpoint of, being more involved with a startup within the private bank to manage money for high net worth individuals. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how mm -hmm. long were you, how long did you do that for? I was with Bankers Trust for two months shy of 10 years. Oh, okay. Long time. So that was the only place I ever worked. That was the only place I ever worked before I started my own firm. Gotcha. And then at some point, mm -hmm. you made your transition into hanging out your own shingle and doing your own thing. So, so where did you make the transfer? I so I want to hear all about that. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't intentional. So for as intentional as I am about a lot of things, <laughs> that was not one of them. So a couple of things happened. Uh, for those that don't really know the history, um, 
the institutional side of Bankers Trust was involved in a scandal. <laughs> and that scandal, even though the private bank had nothing to do with it, that scandal ended up having an impact on the private bank. Oh. And our president at the time was fired. Our president at the time was also the one who was our largest advocate for the unit that we were building. And, and to just kind of, I guess, expand that a little bit, for most institutions that work with private banking families and, and things like that, there's a minimum. And that minimum is like two to $3 million. Mm-hmm we were going after folks who didn't have two or $3 million, but they were either founders of companies or they were family members of high net worth families that wanted to manage their own money. And they didn't have, you know, access to all of it, but they had access to some of it. And our idea was let's work with those folks that at least have a minimum of a hundred thousand dollars, but are on track to become that you know, one million, two million, three million dollar uh, client, and we'll get them at the very beginning, so that as they are growing, we will be there to manage their money. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's what we are doing. Our president gets fired. A new person comes in, and that new person's like, mm, "We're going to disband this. We're going to actually stay with what we've been doing traditionally." Mm-hmm. And so, at that time, because it was you know close to ten years. Uh, working at Bankers Trust, I started exploring what my other options were. And somebody from the team said, well, why don't you just start your own firm? And I was just like, I can't do that. And they're like, why can't you? You were part of this, literally building it from scratch. Why can't you do it on your own? And so then I started thinking, oh, he's got a point. Why can't I do it on my own? So I literally opened up Sterling Investment Management to do exactly what I have been doing at Bankers Trust which was higher, you know, managing money for high net worth individuals and for smaller nonprofits, but smaller nonprofits that had investable assets <laughs> that you could manage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then four years into it, I just hit a wall. I hit a wall because I wasn't making as much money as I had been making when I was at Bankers. I didn't have as much under management. And I did not realize, I think I, I benefited from the, the naivete of not realizing the power of a really huge brand name behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I didn't think it was going to take me as long as it was to really build up some traction with regards to getting clients. And so I went to a coach. And it was my first coach. And I was just like, I don't know either what I am doing that I need to stop or what I need to stop doing that I am, but I need help. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because I think our second session, he goes, I don't understand why you were trying to make this work. And I'm looking at him a little befuddled, like, what are you talking about? Right. And he's like, you know, you are going out there trying to get people to have you manage their money but you're not paying attention to the fact that people are coming to you and they're asking you to create investment education experiences for them. Oh, I'm like, huh. Now the irony with that is I started Sterling in 1995. I did my first workshop for a national nonprofit organization and it went really well. And I, from that, started getting referral after referral after referral. At the time that he and I are having this conversation, 
I had just signed a really large contract with um, a governmental agency. And just a few years after, I was doing workshops for AT&T, traveling to the Caribbean to do financial workshops for all of their Caribbean-based employees. I'm having a ball. Yeah, but I'm not thinking of this as I'm not thinking of this as a separate business. I'm like, mm. oh, this is my little side hustle. This is what I do on the side of managing money. And part of it was because, quite frankly, my ego was all tied up and I want to be a money manager. But when uh-huh. he asked the question and I really, you know, took it to heart and gave it some thought, A, and then B, looked at the numbers, that's when I discovered that I was actually making more money from the education than I was from managing money. So where I thought education was supplementing the investment management, excuse me, it was actually the reverse. Investment management was supplementing education because it was split with 80-20. 80% of my revenue that year came from speaking and speaking as it pertains, yes, to education. So I can have a hard head sometimes and I was like, okay, God. I finally hear you. I finally got you. And Um, that really is the snowball that has gotten me here. It was like the light bulb moment that I needed to say, all right, I need to pay attention to this. And I also need to let go of the investment management piece. And so how do we do that? And so it it began a, a process of unwinding that piece, but then stepping more firmly into the speaking and then figuring out, you know, how do I do this in a better, more efficient way than how I had been doing it. And then as a result of all of the speaking, people would come to me and say, Hey, we want to work with you afterward. And I'm like, but I don't manage money. And they're like, that's the point. We don't want you to manage our money. We like the fact that you're not doing that, but we need help. And at, by that time I had already worked with two coaches. So I had an idea of what my coaching process would look like. Uh-huh. And so I started coaching and my very first coaching client actually was a Harvard Business School graduate who worked in investment banking doing M&A. And here I think is why I have resisted some boxes that people have wanted to put me in. So some people would want to put me in a box that says you only work with women. Well, my very first coaching client was a man. Mm-hmm with that pedigree, right? Another box, you only want to work with black people. Well, Mm -hmm. yes, I'm black and yes, I'm a woman and that may make sense, but you don't tell me what boxes I in. I choose my boxes and I don't want to work with women or I don't want to just only be perceived as working with women because I know that so many people could benefit from what it is that I am doing. And, you know, also the whole idea of because some of the work that I've done is with nonprofits that work with folks in transition. So you can read that as incarceration to work, welfare to work. And I also didn't want to be the person that was only looked at to work with that group of people, because I also knew that on the flip side, (laughs) hello, HBS grad, that there are a lot of people making six figures that also are struggling with their money. So this narrative that says, it's only, it's only quote unquote poor people that struggle with money was one that I've always resisted. And it's one of the reasons why I totally dislike the way in which 
a lot of people and a lot of institutions talk about financial literacy because they miss out on a whole camp of people, A, and they also limit it to only focusing on the math and the mechanics of money when I knew from both experience and from working with my clients that there was so much more to it, i.e. the emotions and the psychology of it. So this is nothing new, but the fact that today in 2020, there are more people talking about it is really, really refreshing that there are more people talking about your relationship with money and, mm -hmm. and making sure that people are talking about the psychology and the emotions of it, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I, I'm just like, my mind is swirling right now thinking about your journey. Um, I love that part of this huge change for you came from going to see a coach. Um, yeah, because it's something that I'm really starting to learn myself is how important that coaching relationship is. Like I had my first coach just this year and it is, it is a tremendous experience to have somebody work with you one-on-one -on -one like that and be able to point out something that you can't see. You know, you're 80, even though it's right in front of you, right? You were 80%, 20% and you didn't see that. And it's just like, that is incredible. The power of that, you know? Yep. Um, and then to take that and transfer your experience having been coached and then know that, yeah, I can, I can turn that around. I know what that relationship looks like. And now I can turn that into something where I can serve other people. Exactly. So yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 That yeah. is so cool. Um, I was going to ask you about, you know, having you break down, because I know that, that you're, you describe, you know, you describe yourself as a financial behaviorist. Um, and what is it that I say here? Um, focused on working with emotional ties to money. Wanted you to break that down a bit, but I think we've already gone there. Um, <laughs> What so so well, that I leads think, me you to, know, to be to to just in, in the event that for some folks it's not so clear. I think one of the best ways to look at it is focusing on the human side of money, focusing on your behavior, your choices. What are the motivations behind those, and what are the motion emotions that are driving that? Yeah, to me that is you know a really good uh, summary of what I do and how I do it, and how two people can come to the table and they may have the same goal, but the process by which we get to that goal is going to be very different because of the fact that they're very different people and they have different things that are driving their behavior, their choices, their motivations and the emotions behind them. So that brings I, me to my question, which is, what, what do you find, what, are there some common things that you find that your financial clients struggle with? Are there commonalities? Um, is there anything that you've noticed trend-wise or is it just so individual based on a person's past and ego and... You know, I, it, it, it is highly individual, I, but I think the common thread is that we're just all wrestling with this relationship, even if we don't call it that. And I think that's the challenge, right? We don't necessarily outright say that we have a relationship with money. Mm -hmm. And so I think if there is a common thread or a, something that brings them all together, it's either that 
they don't see that they have a relationship with money or they do and they don't see how they can make it better. And here's the thing, when people come to me, I'm not their first stop. Like they've tried whatever it is that they're working on, they've tried to fix it either on their own or with someone else. So when someone comes to me, the beautiful thing is I don't have to convince them that they have a relationship with money because their experience has kind of highlighted that for them. <laughs> and I, you know, and, and that's helpful yeah. because if you're talking with someone who really still is entrenched in this idea that success with money is just purely about the numbers, then I'm never going to be able to get through to them. And so the beautiful thing is that, well, <laughs> Someone, someone might can, can contend with that description. But the beautiful thing is that when people come to me, they've had enough experiences and, and a, a deep of enough of a frustration that they're like, okay, there's something else bigger here. I don't know exactly what it is. I need help with that. And there might be an inkling that it has to do with my relationship with money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I am. I am. In the middle of figuring out so much, so much around all that, you know? Um, and, that's, and that's one of the things that I tell people, like, once you embrace that you have a relationship with money, I think it's easier to fully then understand that just like any relationship in your life, A, it evolves, <laughs> and mm-hmm. B, when it comes to money, it's actually one of the longest relationships that you're going to have. I tell right? people all the time when I have workshops, I'm like, you can be married to somebody for 60, 70 years and your relationship with money will still be longer than your relationship <laughs> with that person. Because <laughs> living is expensive. Oh my gosh. And there's, I, there's, just yeah, living. There's, there's no aspect of your life that it doesn't touch. It's crazy. And, I, you know, and for me, like, Having started off, I, I just was so irresponsible in my early years with money. It was just crazy. And, and I was pursuing an acting career and, 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 and everything I ever made went back into it. And I just didn't, I just didn't plan. I didn't plan. I didn't have, you know, all that, that wisdom that I heard. And, you know, I was never in a job where I had a 401k. I was, you know, right. and so now I'm in midlife and I'm, I'm trying to figure out some stuff. You know, it's right. crazy. Right. So, so, I mean, I know this is like such a broad question again, but w- if somebody, and it could be, it could be somebody com- in a completely different situation for me, like you said, people at, in different, um, in different, uh, you know, with different net worths are still going to be having their own issues around money. If somebody is in midlife and they are starting to realize that they're struggling in some way, shape or form with their relationship with money, whatever specific that, you know, whatever the specifics are for them. What, what do you think? What do you think for somebody in midlife? How, how, how does an old dog learn new tricks? Well, I think one of the first things that has to happen is you've got to let go of the notion of what you thought things were going to be Mm -hmm. because that at least then frees up the space for you to actually start creating a game plan from this point forward. But if you're constantly in that mode of, 
um, I wish I would have done X or I should have done A. Mm -hmm. And it makes it hard for you to have the clarity of mind to be able to move forward strategically. So that's one thing, like let go of what you thought things would be like or what you think they should be like so that you have a clean canvas. I think the other thing, and, and this is across the board, learn to make clarity more important than certainty. Mm. I find that a lot of people want to be certain about what they are doing. Like, what's going to be the outcome? If I do this, am I guaranteed a particular outcome? And there are probably other areas in our lives where we do that too, but you see it really prominently when it comes to money. And the reality is there are no guarantees. And so because there are no guarantees, people are afraid to you know, be precise and say, I wanna save X amount of money in X amount of time, or I want to reduce my debt by X amount of money. Or you know, when we think about building wealth, there are really only three pathways. You either own a business, invest in the stock market, or own income producing real estate. So you have people that will just say, I want to build wealth, but they won't specify, well, which pathway or pathways do you want to do that with? And that's they what I mean by clarity is, yeah. is okay. It's, mm -hmm. Yeah, just, just be clear, like just write it down, preferably write it down. Don't just have it in your head. Like these are the three ways that I want to build my wealth. And then in addition to that, what's your number? Like if you have a business, what's the valuation of your business that's going to make you say, yes, I'm wealthy. If you are investing in the stock market, what is that valuation that will also make you say that you are wealthy? If you are investing in real estate, what's the valuation of that portfolio? If you don't have a number, how do you know, how to, how do you know how to close the gap between where you are and where you want to be? And how do you know what are the smart strategic choices to make today that will get you there? The number could be completely wrong, but without a number, how do you make smart choices? And I think that part of the problem is people are focused on certainty when what they really ought to be doing is prioritizing clarity. Wow. You just yeah. So yeah. that's, and, and when you're in midlife, I think that becomes even more of an important task to do, to prioritize that clarity and to let go of what you thought would be or should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, oh man. That is so where I'm at right now. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people are going to relate to that because yeah, the, I mean, I, I've always felt like, um, you know, a, a bit of a cop-out, quite honestly, for me when I was younger. And, and part of the reason I justified um, maybe not tucking away as much money as I could have or, or being more responsible about it was that I was like, you know, safety is an illusion, you know, yeah. is what I would say. Safety is an illusion, you know, but... <laughs> Uh, it's an illusion in the future that becomes real, real quick. <laughs> it does, and it all goes by so damn fast. It's crazy. Um, yes. But that being said, I mean, truly enough, yeah, here we are in this super, super uncertain time um, with everybody's head reeling. And how do you go forward without certainty? And if, if you turn it into clarity, of what's the next step and what does what what's 
the, the, the target. And then what do I need to do to get there? Is that, that's the type of clarity you're talking about, right? Yes. And that applies and to money that applies to everything. getting in shape that applies to anything, right? Every, anything and everything. And also yeah. what applies to anything and everything is this moment, um, feels so incredibly uncomfortable because we are dealing with so many different huge factors, right? We've got the pandemic, the health mm -hmm. pandemic, we've got the pandemic of racism, we've mm -hmm. got, you know, an economic crisis all converging at the same time. And yet, this is not our first collective crisis. Right. And in addition to that, we have all had on an individual basis, our own crises, whether they were in our personal lives or as it pertains to our businesses. So we are always dealing with uncertainty, but yeah. because of this moment in time, it feels like we've never done it before. And the truth of the matter is we have. Right. And the thing that I often want to remind people of is, yes, you may need to improve your toolkit, but remember, you have a toolkit because however you handled the crises, whether it was a collective one before or whether it was an individual one where it was personal or perhaps related to your business, if you're here, that means you got through it. Right on. <laughs> and so what did you do to get through it? <laughs> Don't forget whatever it was that you used to help you get through it. That's one thing. And then the other thing is, is and you, you did a great job of just illustrating this, and I don't know if it was intentional, but all of your questions were prefaced with the, prefaced with the word what, as opposed to how. Mm. Because I think the how is what gets us stuck sometimes because we can't always mm. see, well, how do I make this happen? Mm -hmm. And we sometimes ask that question too soon mm. when the first question needs to be what, right? And, and so and one why. of my- and right, why. exactly. Exactly. Lately for me, so, why is mm -hmm. what I have to go back to and tap? What is it, Simon Sinek? Right. Yep. The, mm -hmm. Right. Uh, is is tapping into why? I, I mentioned to you before before we got into to uh, the rest of this that I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I have to say, um, you know, I, I was I was pretty dark this morning, and but as I as I tapped into why through my day and just keeping working, doing the what, mm -hmm. um, everything kind of started to feel lighter. You know, it is amazing how yeah. that works. And, and I think a yeah. lot of, a lot of the what is also defining, okay. It, it's almost like having, as you were talking earlier, I was thinking, yeah, it's like, it's like having an exit strategy in war, right? You, mm -hmm. you need to know what you like, what's the end game. So yeah. having, setting those numbers out there, even if they're just wrong is better than nothing. Right. Absolutely. It's like, what are you, what, how are you going to define? Cause otherwise, how are you going to know when it's enough? Exactly. And, and only you can define what enough is for you, right? Because it's different for each person and each household and each business. But mm -hmm. you've actually just also touched upon two things that I want to make sure we don't skip over because I think it's really powerful. When you said that you woke up on the wrong side of the bed and that you, you, you got out of it, but the way that you got out of it was in being in action. 
And mm-hmm. a part of being in action was asking the question around the what and the why. I think sometimes people think that they can think their way through to the other side of stuff and you mm-hmm. can't. <laughs> it can't just be, you know, thinking. And this is in no way to diminish the power of, you know, being aware of your mindset and perhaps having a mantra, but you cannot just think your way to the other side. You have to act, you've got to move. And the Quakers have a saying that I love and I'm sure other religious traditions have their version of it, but they say, when you pray, move your feet. And it's a wonderful Mm. reminder that you just can't be on your knees praying. You've got to be on your feet moving. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I I have heard that that before. And I love that. I love that. And a lot of it too is like figuring out if you figure out that, that, that end game that you want, you define it, you get that clarity. And then it's like working backwards. You could, and that's where the thought comes in, I guess, right? Is like, okay, well, if I'm going to get there, what do I need to do to get there? What's the next step? And if you can work that backwards and then start that action, right? And then, and if you're constantly tapped into the why and doing the what, maybe, just maybe. And, and. And because you use the military example, let's continue with that as well. They never just rely on one scenario, right? Mm -hmm. They do scenario planning because Mm -hmm. they also recognize that you can have a beautiful plan on paper, but as soon as you get out on the field, there's a variable that you didn't account for that blows that initial plan completely out of the water. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about- Boy, didn't we find that out this year. Exactly, right? Oh my God. Oh Who my would gosh. have ever known? <laughs> oh my gosh. So crazy. Who would have ever known? <laughs> yeah. And so it, to- it behooves us to have more than one. It, it, it behooves us to have at least more than one way to get to that endpoint. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love it. And how do you, so, so that again, boy, how do you figure out the more than one way? Right. Okay. So now I just, I think I I, I got into the house just now. Well, you know, I think what it is, is, um, having that flexibility and that openness to pay attention. And then as things are, as, as things are unfolding, knowing what to do. So let me give an example, perhaps that will maybe make it a little clearer. So again, March 12th, right? My business, I'm like, oh my God. Well, there are a couple of things that I do. One is in the middle of my own, oh my God, I reach out to absolutely every single one of my clients to see how are they doing? Mm -hmm. That's one thing I did. The second thing I did was I hosted three open calls. Just come to the call, ask your questions. We are here to help each other work it through. Those open calls were free. Mm -hmm. The third thing I did though, was I hosted a conversation series. That conversation series was not free. Mm -hmm. The conversation was helping people in a very targeted way manage what I called the shift, right? Like how do you manage navigating this uh, unfamiliar territory for many of us. And I broke it down into three key themes, right? How do you manage the chaos, especially if either 
you've never worked from home and you're now doing that, or you've always worked from home, but now your spouses as well and you're homeschooling. Like how did, that's chaos, right? How do you manage that? How do you manage for those businesses, the legal aspect of it? Because something, and I thought I had a darn good contract for my speaker contract. What I realized as a result of this is I don't have a clause of what, what does the conference organizer or the firm do if I get sick while I am at their location doing work? Like, I'm like, oh my God, I got to tighten up my, uh, mm. my contract. So I had a legal person. I had someone come in and talk about trauma. I had someone come in and talk about how we need to like double down on our leadership couple of things. A, they were not free. Those were paid events. And B, I split the revenue with the people that I was interviewing. To me, that is being creative. It's figuring out how do you be of service, but how do you be of service and also generate some revenue? Mm. What are you like paying attention to? What is it that people need? What can I create? And what can I create at a price point that will make it an easy yes for folks? And that led to a whole bunch of things that have resulted in the fact that between May and August, I will have presented my pricing workshop inside six masterminds. So when we talk about that scenario planning, you don't always know what the scenario is, but you know what you need to be on the lookout for. You know what you need to be paying attention to, and you know when something is a yes for you. And as long as you know that, you can be open to a lot of things that will take you down a pathway that you may not have envisioned before. Because mm. even though I know a ton of people who run masterminds, it never occurred to me that that would be a vertical for me when it comes to presenting my pricing workshops. And yet it is. And now, I, not only do I have a new vertical, I now can give the corporate speaking that I do whenever we get back to that a different role in my business model. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> I, I have to say, it strikes me. I, I was... Um, I told you I was I was binging your podcast, which, which by the way, people I totally recommend. Um, and I was also I also just started tapping into your blog, and I found one that I, I wanted to quote from today. Uh, the 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 blog post was "Stand up, stand out. This is what bravery needs from you." And mm. your quote that I, I'm going to read this out, if that's okay. Yeah, um, that's fine. One of the things I'm enjoying about Explore, I don't, when did you write this, by the way? Do you have any idea? Was it 2019? I have no idea. Yeah, because I didn't it see a date on it. might have been. I have no idea. It seems so poignant and, and perfect for right now. Um, one of the things I'm enjoying about exploring this theme of everyday bravery, and I guess that's a theme you were exploring in general, is realizing a connection that now seems so obvious. Since last week, I've endeavored to do as I suggested you do, which was pay more attention and notice the ways in which I practice bravery every day. Turns out, not so easy. However, in the process of trying, here's something that became crystal clear. The correlation between bravery and what you want to be known for. I love that. And then you went on to say, when you think about it, whether your message impacts a few or many, it takes a lot of guts to say, in essence, this is my body of work and what I want to be known for especially because the hard choices you make and actions you take every day to live out your message personally and professionally define you. Man. 
that, <laughs> and what and it ties right into what you ended up doing. Yeah, it really does. Wow. I think I wrote that probably in either 2016 or 2017. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think I wrote it in 2016, 2017. Gotcha. I'll have to go back and look. I don't remember. But yeah. thank you for reminding me. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Where, so here's a question for you. Um, actually, I'm going to flip a couple of these around. I had a couple more. I, I think I know the answer to this. Um, I think I know the answer to this based on what you and I have talked about. But, um, you know, Part, part of the reason I, I had you on is I, I, I just love you. <laughs> but, and I love your message and I love the way you approach money. In fact, when you, at the very beginning of the podcast, when you said, you know, money is a product, that was another kind of like my, my head just about popped off my body right then because I was like, money's a product? What? It's a great <laughs> way to think about it. So um, that was one thing, I guess, but, but, Traditionally, like I have on people who are in the middle of a midlife pivot or have done a pivot or something. And what I know about you is that you are able to, I just thought it would be useful to have you on and helpful for, for my audience to have you on to talk about this mindset towards money and the actions that you can take once you have wrapped your head around that. And I guess what I'm asking in my very roundabout way is what has served you in the past to get past your points where you've been stuck? Oh my goodness. What has served me? Um, Here's a question I hear. Here's a little hint. I'm going to just toss out there as a possibility. You run, you're a runner, right? God. Yeah. So is that a big part of what keeps you literally keeps you moving, but also keeps you moving through those places? So there are a couple of things, absolutely the running and I run outside all year round, except I'm going to admit that because it's been like a hundred degrees here, I have not been running. (laughs) (laughs) That's just smart. (laughs) I was like, you know what? I am not training. I mean, I've done it when I was training for a a race, but I'm like, I'm not training for anything. I don't have to be out there doing this. So, uh, but I'm like, it's okay. I run about, you know, 700 or so miles every year. It's good. It's all right if I take a couple of days off, but Mm -hmm. I run all year round and I run outside. And a part of that is because I process outside. I process outside. I process running. So there's the physical benefit of running, but it's also what it helps me to just um, think about as I'm doing it. So I exercise. I have a practice. There are some days that I don't do it, but more days than not, I'm meditating. I'm journaling. I feel like I talk to God all all day long, like, you know, (laughs) what's going on? Or thank you. Like, you know, (laughs) I may not go to church with any consistency, but I talk all the time. So those things help me. I think other things that help me is I definitely have a core um, group of friends that I call them like my cabinet members. And I am able to talk to them about some of the the, the deeper things that I need to talk through so that I'm not just processing in my head and only hearing my own voice. Oh, yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. Um, 
And although I haven't worked one-on-one -on -one with a coach in more recent years, I think even just being in a coaching scenario or situation is always really helpful. So I think all of those things are beneficial and help me when I get stuck. Um, and when it comes to money, you know, just really having those folks that I can be very explicit and direct with about numbers. Like I have some friends, like I think I do pretty good now. Like there was definitely a time when I was absolutely undercharging. And I know that. I think I've gotten a heck of a lot better at that. But I have one friend who still says, ah, you're charging too little. You're charging too little. And then I have to catch myself because I'm like, but yeah, you're a partner at a law firm. So we're like two different, you know? <laughs> myself saying some of the things that I know my clients say to me. So I was like, Oh, you got to catch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. It's so true. I, I know I fall into the same thing. I fall into the same thing, but I love like, you know, what I, what I was hearing, one of the, one of the things that you said earlier was, was that you, I, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but what I, what I heard from it was that you figured out how to create something of value and then and it, perhaps it was when you were talking about having you know that moment when you when you had the chats that were not charged you didn't charge for them and then you created an offer and you created something that had value and then you charged for that value right and and i think um it's something that i'm still learning is how to how to how to realize okay first of all what is value you know what's the value i can provide and then and then how to charge for it appropriately you know yeah it is and, a tricky one to think of i think the value thing can be tricky but here's what i would say i i think it helps to look at it in its most simplistic form is value is how are you helping someone either have something be someone that they want to be or do something like take an action, right? And, and that can fall under any number of things of they've got a challenge they need help with, they've got an aspiration they want some help achieving, they've got a frustration they want help overcoming, or they have a question that they want answered. And what I will say is that the open Q&As, I thought those brought value too, but I was very strategic in that I knew what I wanted to offer for free and I knew what I wanted to offer for a price. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes what we end up doing as entrepreneurs, small business owners is not being really clear around what are the boundaries? Mm. What are you going to offer for free? And what does that look like? What's the, what are the constraints for that? What mm. are the constraints for what are you going to offer where you are putting a price on it? And when you put that price on it, be clear about what's the role of that offer in your business. Is it a lead? Is, is it a paid lead generation offer, which is how I look at my dinners? Is it a pillar offer, which is how I look at my coaching, or even the work that I'm doing now in masterminds in terms of pricing? Or is it something in between? And the clearer you are around what it is that you're offering, what's the role of that in your business, the easier it is to then figure out the pricing and what mm. makes sense. Because we tend to think of pricing on a one-off basis when we would be 
better served if we looked at it in the context of a portfolio? Like, does it make sense if I've got X over here for one price and something over here for an, another price? What's the story are those two numbers telling individually? And then what are they telling when you look at it as a whole chapter or a whole book? Wow. And back to clarity. Back, back to, to clarity. Back to clarity. <laughs> There we go. There right. We back go. to class, which then means you've got to invest the time to ask the questions. And I think that that's part of a huge challenge for so many of us is we're constantly in motion. Mm. Um, and so when I said, when you pray, move your feet, I didn't mean to also just move your feet so much that you don't <laughs> slow down and process. <laughs> well, for you, you're moving your feet through Park Slope, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's hilarious. Um, you know, I, I, I loved like all your answers. I'm, I'm doing a lot of the same things. Um, and, and it's part of what brought me to, 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 to bring this podcast to fruition is, um, I had, uh, a moment in time where I was feeling very, uh, unfocused and, you know, wasn't sure about a whole lot of stuff and low energy and different things like that. And ended up like changing my diet, starting to exercise every day, getting up early in the morning to meditate and journaling, which I've always been horrible about keeping up with journaling. It's still my weak zone. But, you know, those things are so powerful. And it's that part of slowing down to do that, to do that thought work to, you know, where the part where you're maybe not moving your feet so much, but it's, it's exactly slowing down and getting the clarity. And just yeah. being aware of, of what's working for you and what isn't. Yes. Right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And having some grace with yourself when you oh, don't boy. like what your answers are. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah that's, a big one. <laughs> uh, that's a big one. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I have to yes. ask, what, what is coming up for you next? What, tell me, tell me what you, where you see you put on your your forward thinking cap? So, you know, as I mentioned before, the vertical of working inside masterminds was a surprise. So now the question is, how do I become much more intentional about that and, and, and grow that out? Another thing is um, I've been doing these pricing masterclasses, and so I'm going to continue to do those. And so thinking about, well, what comes next? And, you know, I think part of it is while I've always worked on pricing with my entrepreneurial clients, like really, really embracing the fact that I have a very particular voice and a particular framework. And I need to, again, lean into that, right? So when I talk about pricing, I'm looking at it as I like to describe it from three sides, the financial, the emotional, and the personal. And in order to do that, there are four key relationships that we have to explore. Your relationship with money, your relationship with yourself, with your business, and with the people that you serve, right? Your clients, your customers, and your prospects. And I think leaning into all of that is what I am excited about doing and, and growing even more as this year progresses and into 2021. 
and especially the excitement that I have around recognizing that I could potentially replace the revenue that I'm used to having come in from the larger corporate speaking gigs from mm -hmm. this. And mm -hmm. that gives me a little bit more control because A, those corporate opportunities, grateful for them, love the numbers, but the, the sales process is always very, very long. Mm. And this isn't. Mm -hmm. And so how wonderful would it be then for this to replace that and then have whatever I do on the corporate side be extra. And so I'm just excited about the fact that well, yeah, July looks a lot different than I would have thought it would have looked like in June. I mean, I should say in January. Um, I'm very happy with how it looks. Very, very happy. Very grateful. And I'm excited about what it foretells in terms of what's possible moving forward. Yeah. Ah, that's exciting. Yeah, I can yeah. see you. I can see it's all, it's all bubbling up there. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. We might have yeah. to in later. Um, so how can people best find you? Tell us a little bit more about uh, where people can go to follow up and, and learn about all things. Jacket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, on social media, I love me some Instagram. So find me on Instagram. Just put my name in the search bar, Jacquette Timmons, and I will pop up. Um, if you want to go to my website, JacquetteTimmons.com, and if you do that forward wheel, I'm sorry, forward slash dash wheel, you will get our free exercise, which is called the financial wheel. And I always invite people to do that exercise because it's really uh, a great way to get connected to what's the role of money in your life, what's the direction that you want to give it, and how does that map to your financial vision. So those are the, the key primary ways uh, to get in touch with me and to follow my work. Awesome. And, uh, and for anybody just listening right now, this will all be in the show notes, but um, it's spelled J-A-C-Q-U-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. And then Timmons is T-I-M-M-O-N-S if you're looking for Right. And on, on Instagram, Instagram, you have to add my middle initial, which is M as in Mary. Oh my gosh. I so enjoyed having you here today. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed our time together as well. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and there you have it. Hey, I thought you should know that after my talk with Jacquette, John and I sat down to do her financial wheel exercise, and it really got us motivated to do some overdue financial housekeeping. And that's a free resource that she provides, so I'll put a link to it in the show notes for you. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, and before I go, next week we're talking about fitness for the first time with Alan Meisner. He's the host of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast and author of The Wellness Roadmap, a straightforward guide to health and fitness after 40. He has an awesome transformation story. I can't wait for you to hear it. By the way, do you have any story suggestions or burning questions? I would love to hear from you. So please feel free to send me a message on Instagram or on Facebook. You can find me on both platforms by searching for Late Bloomer Living, of course. And if you enjoyed this, please leave a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope you have a fantastic week. Talk soon.